Welcome to Shofar Ronnebosch Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. So I'm going to be sharing about wisdom. The word wisdom was used for the very first time actually in the Bible when um, the Lord was pouring his spirit upon Bezalel when they, they were here to build the tabernacle. That's the very first moment where we see that word appearing in scriptures. And those who study the Bible, they often speak of a law of first mention, where if you want to study a word, you kind of understand in what context that word was used. The first time when that word was used, it was used in the context of building. They were building a tabernacle. And this man received supernaturally wisdom from God to build this temple that was going to house the glory of God where people had to come and worship him and offer sacrifices. The tabernacle basically means the house of God. Now this man received for the very first time wisdom and it was in the context of building. You will, in the Bible, there is several books and there are certain books that are kind of categorized as the wisdom books. And one of the primary books that is seen as the book of wisdom is the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes as well. Sometimes even the song of the songs of Solomon and even the Psalms. But the book of Proverbs is kind of one of the, one of the books that touches and speaks a lot. If you read Proverbs 7, it speaks about wisdom um, and all other things that has come to do with it. And you will see even in Proverbs, it speaks about a woman. It says that uh, the, the wife that is wise, she's, she builds her house. And the foolish one destroys it. Many times you'll see there is often a connection between wisdom and building. You'll see even Paul speaking. He says, as a wise builder, I've laid the foundation. And you'll see as well, even in Jeremiah, the scripture speaks of, uh, God, in the beginning, through his, by his power, he created the whole universe. And it is through his wisdom that he established all things. That he built everything, that he, built, that he created the whole world. So if you had to summarize, whether you're walking in wisdom, just from the little things that I've just said now. The question you should often ask yourself, in whatever I'm doing right now, am I building? Or this conversation that I'm about to have with KG, am I building? Because that's the first picture we see, connection that we see between wisdom and, um, and the people of God. But I'm not saying that's all that's about wisdom. There is so many things about wisdom. If you read in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul speaks about the different streams of wisdom. The wisdom of kings, the wisdom of man. In every culture, there are even wisdom. In fact, the book of Proverbs is kind of a collection of the wisdom principles that governed the nation of Israel. Because the Israelites, they basically received just the law from God, which was basically like a guide. But then through the law, they kind of built a culture. And out of the culture, there was a collection almost of the things that helped them building that nation, the things that could have maintained them as a nation. Wisdom. But on a personal level, what I would want to say is, you should always ask yourself, am I building? When I'm doing this, am I building or am I destroying? Because the wise one, the woman that is wise, Solomon, or the, the book of Proverbs, speaks of the one that builds a house. And the foolish one destroys. So the opposite of the wise man is the foolish one. <laughs> Unfortunately, there is a lot of fools in the kingdom. Not in a bad way. I'm telling you, sometimes we act like that. Sometimes, before even the devil pitches up, we've already made things for him. We've already made things easy for him. Because we have already positioned ourselves to destroy 
through our attitude. You know one of the ways we destroy? It's through this thing called laziness. As much as you play the keyboard, if you're writing on Tuesday, study. <laughs> study, study, study. If you play the keyboard, you do hallelujah, amen, hallelujah, you speak in tongues tomorrow morning, you're not studying, you're going to fail. And that's not wise. Okay. As much as you come to church, when you go back, don't go and watch series. If you're going to write tomorrow, study. Because that attitude can be called stupidity or foolishness. If you have to study 10 chapters, now you're watching this series. You want to watch one, series two, series three, if it's 10 or 20. Now you're excited, you're excited. And then you realize, oh, shucks, it is 11 p.m. And I'm writing at 9. Then you're going to rock up there as if you had a demon last night. No, here's the problem. You didn't have the wisdom of time. The Bible speaks about of the sons of Issachar that they had wisdom. They understood time. They understood what to do. So that is not what I'm talking about today. This, is, this was just an introduction in terms of the just wisdom on a personal level. Because sometimes we stay too much in the cloud with people that speak in tongues. Okay? We, we struggle to be on the ground and to be very practical. Amen? Jesus was practical. And um, when Paul speaks about wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, he speaks of Christ as our wisdom. So, in my text today... I am going to focus on the very last moments, or in this series of teaching that I'm going to do. This is my series. This is not a video series, but this is more of a teaching series. Maybe you can live stream. It's going to be one, two, three, four, five, Matthew series. <laughs> so, I'm going to be focusing on the last moments that Jesus had with the disciples before his crucifixion. I'm just going to look at the last moments. The last significant moment that Jesus spent with his disciples. And we're going to be looking at Jesus as wisdom. You can literally like alternate Jesus with wisdom. Just looking at how Jesus engaged with the reality he faced. Now remember, in the back of your mind, remember, this gospel, Matthew's gospel, Matthew wrote this gospel to his own people, the Jews. And one of the primary purposes of his book was presenting Jesus as the king. In fact, he introduces his gospel by saying, Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham, son of Abraham, son of David. Technically, he is demonstrating to the people that the God that I'm talking about comes from the line that is qualified enough to rule over this nation. Because David received a, prop a, prop a promise from God that the scepter will, be, will not be taken from his hands. And that his descent will rule. What I'm saying, Jesus is, is uh, I'm speaking of Jesus as, as, uh, as the wisdom. You'll actually see in Matthew 12, chapter 12, 32, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and he they asked him for a sign. He said, no, you're not going to get another sign than the one of Jonah. And then he continues to say, that didn't you see the queen of Sheba that went and visited Solomon? And right here in front of you, there is one greater than Solomon. And the queen of Sheba, when you study the story, it's very fascinating. The Bible says that when she went to visit King Solomon, the, the, the King Solomon, uh, the Bible says that she was basically looking at the way Solomon dressed up his servants, the dress code. She was fascinated. She looked at the meal on the table. She was fascinated. She looked at the structure. She was fascinated. She was able to see the wisdom of Solomon, even by just looking at the people that served Solomon. And because she heard of the wisdom of Solomon, she decided to, to I don't know if she flew, she to travel from Ethiopia up to Israel to get there. 
and to meet this Solomon, to get to hear his wisdom. She even came with enigmas and questions to ask Solomon. And Solomon was able to give all the answers. And what I'm saying this evening is that Jesus is this wisdom that heaven have provided, have made available for us to understand God's way of looking at things. Because in secular terms, wisdom is basically one of the ways to, to be successful. Okay? Because there's a difference between being intelligent and being wise. Being intelligent is basically just being able, being knowledgeable, knowing things. But being knowledgeable doesn't necessarily make you wise. Wisdom has to do with the application of the knowledge you know. You know. Some people know that if they drink this thing, it's going to mess them up. But they still drink it. They know that if I am taking this cloud, okay? If this cloud comes in, it's going to mess me up. They can even write books about it. And the next second, you see them under the same cloud. Why? Because knowing that it destroys does not necessarily empower them. So everyone knows that there is HIV, there is all these things, okay? But people still do have sexual immorality anywhere and anyhow. So being knowledgeable doesn't make you wise, okay? So now I'm presenting Jesus as the ultimate wisdom that we can look at. And learn from. Now, there is a whole lot of things. If I have to, to touch on every single moment that Jesus had, we, we're going to be here for forever. But I'm just going to look at just a few instances. I might maybe touch on one or two today. And maybe touch on the others next time. Now remember, one thing that you will notice in Matthew's gospel. There is a lot of teachings of Jesus. There's a lot of teachings. The Beatitudes, the parables. Basically, Matthew is presenting this Jesus as this great teacher. He's constantly presenting the superiority of Jesus over even Moses. Because remember, the Beatitude, the reference they had of Beatitude was the one of Moses. But now, you will see a comparison. Not a full comparison, but he's showing the superiority of Jesus, even in this gospel. And if you read from chapter 1 up to 26, or up to maybe 26, yeah, or you will actually notice that most of the things that Jesus emphasized on aren't necessarily the things that you see in this chapter, where there is a whole lot of events, where he was about to suffer. Jesus actually predicted of his death four times in this gospel. And in this particular chapter, this is the fourth time when he's mentioning it. But a whole lot of time Jesus spent on teaching about the kingdom. On teaching about the ways of God. And the one thing that you'll see going hand in hand with wisdom, in terms of the way Jesus was operating, you often see power. And the one thing that you see again in this, in this book of in gospel of Matthew's gospel, you see so much supernatural manifestation through Jesus. He multiplies the bread. He heals the sick. He does all kinds of things. Even his disciples are having these great encounters like Peter. He has this moment where he has a revelation about God. But in most of the instances when you read the text, you can see that they still struggled to understand Jesus. Even though Jesus made so many predictions about his death, about his suffering, when Jesus started speaking about it, when the moment arrived, they couldn't make the connection. It's almost like even though Jesus made, then made many teachings, there was a part of them that didn't click in yet. So, in 26, chapter 26, the scripture says, When Jesus had finished all these sayings, 
he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will, will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priest and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealing and kill him. But they say, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. They were very, this is the moment where there was a plot being prepared to arrest Jesus by this high priest. You will often see that the major, the major group of people that Jesus engaged with was the, his disciples and many times the religious leaders, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus confronted them, challenged them. And you will see that many times when Jesus was rebuking, prior to this moment, Jesus often rebuked the religious ones. Spoke in parable when he was in, in, in a big crowd. And he, he, will, he would unpack the parables to his disciples. And you will often see there is, a, there is that consistency of Jesus challenging. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were religious people. Three people that knew the things of God, but that did not even have a heart for God. Now, they were knowledgeable about all of these things, about many promises. The one trend that you will see in the Gospel of Matthew, there is this, this statement saying, this was done so that, that which was prophesied may be fulfilled. Now, these Pharisees and the Sadducees, they knew all of these prophecies. But now, they lacked the wisdom to recognize what God was doing. This, first, this text on the first verse, you actually see that it was the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the religious people, the same very people that read the promises the same very people that knew what was said about the Messiah that had to be born. They were the first group that plotted against the one that was sent by God. The Bible speaks of the sons of Issachar that they knew how to discern the time. They had the understanding of time. Jesus said that the good servant is the one that gives the right thing at the right time. So now these people, even though they knew the law, this was a high priest, an intercessor, a religious man, serving God, but outside of his will. Outside of his will. Could it be that sometimes we are busy but doing nothing before God? Busy in front of people. Busy with the church. Busy with your small group. Busy doing so many things, but outside of his will. One day, I was at Impart one. There was a man telling a story, a preacher from America. He says, he said there was a student in the state. I hope you're not going to do this mistake. And he was given an assignment. Took an assignment, went and did research. Great presentation. You know, there are some students, when they do their presentation, it's like Jesus is about to come. Okay? Now, great presentation, research, everything. The professor looked at the, the project, great, great presentation, great content, great font, great colors, great package, everything. And the professor said, but this wasn't the assignment. Everything was done, but this was not the assignment. The Sanhedrin, this high priest, Scaife was the high priest. He went and offered sacrifice. But the same very God that he, he thought he was serving, when his son came, he was the first one to plot against him. Now we have to see how does Jesus engage with these things. When you read this text, you see the amount of things that happened to Jesus. That's just in this chapter. It is crazy. It is crazy. If you can go to the previous slide. Not the one before this. You see, there is a plot against him. He got anointed. He's betrayed. There is a Passover. There is the Last Supper. Uh, he foretells the, the denial. He's denied in this chapter. He goes to Gethsemane. He's betrayed. He's arrested. And he's facing the high priest. There is a whole lot of events which are emotional 
crazy, crazy, crazy moment if we were to sit on each and every one of them. So the first thing that I want to establish here is, let's go from the next verse. On the next verse, Jesus, on the verse 6, now that Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon Leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask and very expensive ointment. She poured it on his head as he inclined at the table. When, when, these, when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the, the woman as she has done a beautiful thing to me? For you always have poor, the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Basically, this was a prophetic moment. Because prior to this, Jesus had already been speaking to them about what's going to happen to him, that he will be crucified. Remember in verse 1, he says, when Jesus had finished saying this thing, he said, you know, after two days, the Passover is coming, the Son of Man will be delivered and will be crucified. Now there is this woman that have just made this prophetic action where she anointed him. She brought her ointment. If you read in the, in the Gospel of John, it's basically speaking about, it's almost like Saturday. It's like a, a, pre, a, a prior day before Jesus went up in Jerusalem. In fact, from the old, all the old Gospels, there is only one instance where Jesus was anointed. It was in this moment in Bethany. But a lot, there is a whole lot of argument on it. We're not going to waste time on that. But, what I want to focus on is this, this moment to Jesus, this was a prophetic action representing his burial. But the same very disciple that Jesus mentioned the crucifixion four times, they struggled to recognize it. They also struggled to recognize the moment they, were mat they became materialistic in terms of the thinking about this. Like, well, why, why is she pouring this? We could, you know, Judah probably, let, we could have done this, we could have sold this and make money. What for Jesus, that was a very, very powerful moment. But again, let's continue to read Jesus' attitude. Because remember, Jesus was busy building these men that was going to be the apostles. Now, they are facing interesting moment where their leader is slowly but surely becoming vulnerable. Their leader is suddenly suffering. This is the man they decided to follow after leaving their jobs, their families, and everything for three good years. And suddenly, this man is going through the most difficult time of his days. And while the things that are revealing whatever he was been saying was happening, they were struggling to connect. Could it be that sometimes we don't engage properly with God, with what God is doing with us, on the now, because we're not on the same page with him. While God is moving, we're still there. It's like you're sitting at a beach with a child, or a, little, a little kid, and then you, you get distracted on a phone, suddenly realize the, the child is gone. The child is gone, you don't know where the child is because you were not there in the moment. But sometimes, it's kind of similar the way we engage with God. God has already moved. Now you're like, oh, well, where is God? God is moving. Where is God? So, that's why we are called to be led by the Spirit of God. To be able to engage. With, you know, you will see in some other scriptures when Jesus is about to speak about his, uh, his crucifixion. He said, the time has arrived where the Son, the Father will be glorified. Where His Son will be glorified. Jesus he knew his timing. You'll even see when he was asked to do his first miracle, he said, my time has not yet come. What time is it in your journey with God at the moment? Are you busy with the things that requires of your commitment? Because if you're not busy with the things that requires of your commitment, you're not working in wisdom. You are playing with time. You're perhaps even wasting your time. Jack said, once, he said, when you come into his house, you have the freedom to use his TV, 
You have the freedom to use all your things. The only thing that you do not have the right to use, to, to do, is to waste his time. It's to waste his time. So now, in this moment, Jesus goes through this. And secondly, now Jesus is going through betrayal. It's in verse 14. The one of the twelve whose name was Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver from the moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is the guy who said to Jesus. This is the man who was with him many, many times. He witnessed the miracle. I don't know when they went to pray for the people, cast the demons. I don't know if he also did it. When they were having all of these moments, seeing the resurrections and everything. You know, sometimes you can be with 10 people in the same room and yet you're not with anybody. You might think you have five friends. How many friends do you have? Three. Maybe you don't even have a friend. You only have Judas. Judas. And I tell you, when you have too many Judases, you better be Jesus. You better be Jesus. You know why? Jesus knew. He knew. He predicted. So now amongst them, one of them will play out. Do you know why we often go through disappointment? It's because we don't listen to God. The Israelites, if you study the Old Testament, the major reason why the Israelites were disappointed with life because they did not hear God. You know, if you look at this favorite, this famous prayers, the Shema prayer of the Israelite people, start by saying, Hear, O Israel. The whole Christianity is about hearing God. And if you're not hearing God, you cannot walk in wisdom. Jesus heard from God. He said that the Son of Man does nothing except what he sees the Father doing. You can actually see that in all of these things that Jesus was going through are things he predicted. You know why? The word has to precede everything. One of the things that we may learn about wisdom, Jesus as wisdom, is that the wisdom of God is rooted primarily in his word. The best counsel is the word of God. If you read in Psalm chapter 1, it speaks of the one that dwells in this word in his love. The word of God gives you wisdom about what you need to do now and even the thing that you're going to do. You see that the whole life of Jesus was a fulfillment of God's word. What is the place of the word in your life? If Jesus lived out the fulfillment of scriptures, then who are you? To completely take the scriptures and leave them on the corner and only get back to them when you're in trouble. The scriptures were given to us as a guide. So the wisdom of God, we cannot speak of the wisdom of God without speaking of his word. Because it is his word that makes us wise. David says, your law makes me wise than my teacher. Wiser than my teacher. Your word. I think one of the things that God really loved about David, you will often see David in Psalms, many times he, he kept doing this prayer. He said, God, teach me your word. Teach me your precept. Teach me your law. Teach me your, uh, your word. Teach me your ways. And the scripture says in Hebrew that God sustained everything through the word of his power. So Jesus is going through betrayal. Now imagine how hectic emotionally that was. Even though he knew about it, it wasn't easy. If Jesus was betrayed, you can also betray, betrayed. So relax. Okay? If you think you will never be betrayed, I tell you, don't have that expectation. You can also be betrayed. Some people will act like Judas. Our focus is not people. Our focus is God. But we need to be wise. You see, you may believe that God has called you to do certain things, but if you do not have wisdom for the very thing that you believe is being called, you will be messed up. You will be messed up. There is a lot of people that are very gifted, 
but they do not have the wisdom for the gift they have. Because the gift makes room for you. But then if you don't have wisdom for the room, the room will kick you out. Or the devil will destroy you. And I'm talking about the divine wisdom of God that establishes you. The Bible says it was through his power that he created all universe. It was through his wisdom that he established all things. Who of you have received promises from God? A prophecy in your life. You've been, you have received a prophecy in your life. Someone prophesied over you something about your life. Great. Uh, that is not everything. You're not the first one to receive a prophecy. There is a journey. And in that journey, if you act as a fool, you will think God is a liar. Receiving the prophecy that is not a guarantee. I prophesy, I love it. But if I give a prophetic word, it's not a guarantee that you would necessarily walk in it if you act as a fool now. Because the future is now. I can even say the future does not exist. So the future is what you're doing now. And what you're doing now will determine what will happen tomorrow. If you're not preparing, <laughs> then you're not doing it. You're basically just turning around and expecting. Some people, they do that. Oh, God has called me to ministry. I'll be a man of healing. But then you're sleeping. You don't pray. You don't read the word. Oh, God has said one day it's going to happen. It's as if one day it's just going to look up. Boom. Healing is like, here I am. I am here for you. Now you can heal the sick. No. Read in those moments. Jesus, you'll see when we go through Gethsemane, I think for me Gethsemane was one of the most fascinating moments of Jesus. You see how Jesus brought his feelings before the Father. How Jesus brought his realities before the Father. While his disciples were falling asleep, Jesus was in, in sorrow. He was in pain. If you think you'll never be in pain, I tell you, then you're not reading the Bible. Read again the Bible. Okay? But the problem isn't the pain. The good, the good news is that even if the pain will be there, we will not walk through the pain alone. We will walk through the pain within. Therefore, we have the guarantee that we can go on the other side and overcome. Because he has already overcome. Okay, so you will see, I think next week I might get to, we get so many in them. Then when we found on the Passover, the Passover we know that the Passover was established in Exodus when they were about to leave. They had this lamb and everything. Uh, it was a very huge feast when people went to Jerusalem to celebrate. That's why, one of the reasons why Jesus couldn't be uh, arrested earlier in that period because they knew it was going to stir a lot of things because he was very popular. But then, the very significant moment which I think Jesus was fulfilling the Passover was the Last Supper. When he was having his last supper with the disciples. The one thing that you'll see that Jesus has wisdom in this process of his last moment, he valued, he prioritized his time with his people, with his disciples. He prioritized the time to fellowship of these guys. Because they were about to be in moment where the same very guy who promised them the, a great future now, even in the time to come, was about to die. Now imagine you're following a boyfriend, and now this boyfriend is like Jesus, and now he's promised you all of these things, and suddenly he's about to die. You're going to be like, what? All of these promises. Okay? Now this man was a man resurrecting the dead. He had all the power to arrest all the guys. But suddenly, he restrained himself because he wanted to be obedient to God. But how do you, how do you handle that? How do you handle that? Because when they came to arrest him, he told the soldiers, I said, I, I can, my father can command a legion of angels to come and deliver him. The guy basically had his sword and everything, and he held them inside. He could have like, oh, let me just... Let me just punch this guy. Let me just call Michael and I will get everyone down. But because Jesus was pursuing the salvation of the same very people killing him, he restrained himself. That's the power of grace. 
And why? What is that? The wisdom of God. You see, if you don't know how to hold yourself back, you will be destroyed. KG, one day, yeah, you're going to be an husband. Okay? And I tell you, when you become an husband, one day you're going to feel like you want to punch. Okay? But, listen, but if you don't learn the discipline of, of, with, of holding yourself, you're going to punch and you're going to destroy. All the people that have abused people, it's not that they always wanted to. They did not have the wisdom to restrain themselves. Psychologists speak of emotional intelligence. Okay? People who do all of these evil things, it's not always their intention, necessarily. They do not have the power to restrain themselves. The Bible says Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And we were the joy of Jesus before him. It wasn't the government. It wasn't the popularity. Those is people. Because in that moment, suffering, what he had in mind was the same very people. That's why you see on the cross, Jesus, even praying and for forgiveness over these people. Like, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Do you know the reason why you react anyhow with anybody? Because there is not a greater picture. Because we don't, we're not necessarily always walking in the wisdom of God in that very moment. That's why you can get some Christians when they get upset. If you close your eyes, there is no difference between that girl that have never been at church or that guy that have never been at church, that have never heard the word, and the one that's speaking in tongues. They are reacting the same. They're saying the same very thing. They're acting the same. And you wonder, okay. When you open your eyes, okay. Now you're like, oh, this is the church boy. This is the unchurch boy. So what was the difference? The main, the, main, the main thing is sometimes we act as Pharisees. We know all of these things, but we do not have the, the heart of God. The wisdom of God was manifested in Christ Jesus as a living sacrifice. This was a very difficult moment where he got betrayed by the same very people he trained. He even got denied by the one disciple. One of the disciples that's the most mentioned in this gospel is, is Peter. And he was there, Peter, James, and John, especially Peter. The guy was there. Even when Jesus says, I'm about to, he says, eh, please don't go and die. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now this guy, at some point, no, I cannot deny you. Jesus says, you will. <laughs> you will. But Jesus loved him. It's very, it's very interesting if you were to study, why would Jesus do that? Why did he tell Peter that, Peter, you will deny me? And what's interesting is that when Jesus resurrected, in one of the texts, he says, go and tell my brothers that I've gone and preceded them in Galilee. Go, go and tell Peter too. And at some point, Jesus, when Jesus resurrected already, comes to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Third time, do you love me? Peter starts crying. Because I think Peter in his mind is playing, oh, well, I betrayed him. Is he still thinking about it? Now Jesus, now Jesus, as a demonstration that he forgave him, not only forgave him, that he dealt with the issue. Now this is wisdom. He's building the confidence of the guy in his love for him. He's demonstrating to Peter that, Peter, you can still trust me again. And I still trust you. You know what he said to him? Feed my lamp. You see, if someone offends you, don't just say, okay, I've forgiven them. I do another go, okay, I forgive uh, my aunt or my, my uncle. Great. If you say this, it's one process. Acknowledging the offense is one thing. But dealing with the offense is another thing. Jesus forgave him, but he also dealt with the matter, dealt with his heart to rebuild the confidence in the God. Now look at Peter in the book of Acts, how he was able to reach out to many. Because in that moment, Jesus said to him, I can actually entrust you, my sheep. That's the wisdom we see. The wisdom of God manifested to man. Embodied in this person of Jesus. The challenge that I want to put it out there. How do you live? How do you live? Does your life, does our lives reflect the wisdom of God? 
We are all going through pain. We are all going through suffering. We are all going through disappointment. We sometimes betrayed. Sometimes we get to a place where you can't even trust me as the pastor. Okay? No, no offense. Sometimes you can't even trust your small group leaders. Or sometimes the people in your small group, while you're confessing your sin, you're even wondering, oh, wow, why did I even confess my sin? Oh, accountability partner. Now it's like around the billy partner. Then it's like, okay, well, what am I doing? We struggle to trust each other. Now in the midst of that, how do we learn to, to really reflect God? How do we learn to restrain ourselves? So that because we do not want to destroy the person. You know, when I started living with my brother and his wife, there are moments where I had to restrain myself. Why? Because I had to care for his children. I had to care for his wife. I had to care for him as an husband. I also had to care for him as my brother. Because I had to engage with him as my own brother. Making a mistake. Making sure that my relationship with him remained 100%. My relationship with his wife remained 100%. His relationship with his wife remained 100%. That these kids don't see this brothers, his uncle, fighting. Same on his side. It doesn't mean if we laugh with one another, we will never have issues or misunderstanding. We will. The question is, how are we going to deal with them? How are we going to deal with them? But you know, we have the answer. Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate wisdom. Let's stand. I would like us to I would like us to to bring our hearts before God. Say God, I I want to represent your wisdom on earth. I'm wanting to live out this wisdom that was revealed to the to the whole world through Christ Jesus. He's the, one, he's the only one that I've molded how it looks like. Forgiving, even while you know, like you know that this person next to me have just gossiped against me. He's the only one that I've molded how it looks like to overcome offense. Because we are in him, if he overcame, we can. He's the only one that is able to impart that same very wisdom, even in your context. Jesus had his Peters. He had his high priest. He had all kinds of people that made accusations about it. If you read the text before 26, Jesus did nothing to this high priest. Never gossip about him. Never went to his house. Never fought against his sibling. Nothing. And yet this guy, for some reason, just woke up and wanted to destroy him. This world sometimes functions like that. There are troubles that we have found ourselves in. You don't know where it started. How did it start? Who said what? How did it start? And how come it has happened? But you find yourself in trouble. How do you come out of that? You know, I have an housemate. She was sharing with me about the one girl from her church where her brothers are gangsters. Like, it is a massive fraud. She can't even buy shoes. Because if she buys shoes, now the brothers will steal and go and sell. Did she ever pray to be in that family? No. Who did she provoke to get there? No one. But she's there. But is there hope? Yes, there is hope. Because Jesus demonstrated that how it looks like being even an illegitimate child couldn't even receive affirmation on the right age because no one knew his father. But he still was a man able to change the world, to forgive, and to reveal how it looks like being a son, confident. So I would like you to pray for your own hearts so that you can really be rooted in God.
And if you know that there are things that you've been doing, that you know these things, if you were to question them, you actually destroy it. And say, God, I do not want a partner with the one that comes to destroy. Do you know when you gossip against someone, you are actually destroying that person? And sometimes you are even bounding yourself. And one of the advice I can give to you, never criticize badly a man that is in covenant with God because you do not know the conversation that he has had with God. You might find yourself in troubles that, sh- that you will not even be overcome on a deliverance. All the nations that, that fought against Israel, they were destroyed because Israel had a covenant with God. So I would like us to pray. Say, God, I receive your wisdom. Jesus, be my wisdom. In my studies, in my family, in my relationship, in my friendship, in everything. Be the wisdom upon me. Be the wisdom upon me. It is this wisdom that establishes us in our identity in God. God's way of living. God's way of dealing with life. You can pray for this. I'd like you to have this prayer with God. I'm not going to call anyone forward, but I would like all of us to, to really bring our hearts before God. Like the Queen of Sheba. She went to Solomon because she was angry. She wanted to hear the wisdom of Solomon. How thirsty are you? How hungry are you to hear of the wisdom of Christ? To sit at his feet. Let's raise our voices and pray. Pray with urgency. Pray as if this was your last time to pray. Call out the wisdom of the Father to be downloaded even in your family. Cry out to the Father. Say, God, I do not want to destroy your work. I do not want to destroy your people. I do not want to destroy. I do not want to destroy. I long to build. Lord, I long to build. I long to build. I long to build. I long to be a builder. I long to be a builder. I long to be a wise builder. I long to be a wise builder, walking in your wisdom, walking in your wisdom, doing things not my way, but your way, doing things your way, doing things your way, God, doing things your way, doing things your way, God, doing things your way, Father. Oh God, oh God, oh God, we pray against anger. We pray against anger in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, we cry out. I want to. Just want to do one prayer where we're going to pray for one another. If you're here, you know that you, you, you are short-tempered. You just have a short temper. When you get angry, you just lose it. And you don't do what you want to do. Often, one of the biggest weapons of the enemy is anger. It is anger. And if you're struggling just with such things, then I, I would like you to put your hand up where you are. And I'm going to ask the people that are next to you to just pray with you. If you know that you're short-tempered and Jesus wasn't short-tempered. Amen? He wasn't short-tempered. If you know, honestly, that it is something that you will have to overcome, 
You like to grow in self-control? Do you know why? Sometimes people sit in their rooms and then they start watching pornography. Do you know why? Self-control is not there. You can just lose it, lose it just in a minute. But the wisdom of God, the wisdom from Jesus, gives you, Bible says, the spirit of power, love, and self-control. We did not receive a spirit where in a little moment you can lose control. And suddenly you realize I'm messed up already. That's not God's will. Let's cry out to God. Say, God, I do not want to remain in this life where I can just find myself in masturbation, in things that I don't really want to live in. But suddenly I just find myself because there isn't a, a sense of restraining myself. But even though I want, but I can't. The Holy Spirit can help you in that. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but I would like you to pray. Or if you don't struggle with that, then pray for those that struggle with those things. Because there is a lot of us, a lot of people that struggle with self-control. A guy chat starts, or a girl starts with you on WhatsApp, or Facebook, 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 and suddenly you lose it. You lose it. And now you've learned to put a face when you come to small group. No. Walk in the wisdom of God. We're not going to walk in the wisdom of the children of the kingdom of darkness. Because we are called to manifest the wisdom of the kingdom of light. So let's pray for ourselves. Let's pray for self-control. We do not want to hear about sexual immorality in our midst. We do not want to hear about these things. Let's cry out as intercessors. But if you struggle, bring it to God on your own. If you should show tempered, bring it to God as well. Let's pray and stand against these things. Let's pray and ask God. Say, God, Holy Spirit, I did not receive a spirit of masturbation. I did not receive a of pornography. I did not receive the spirit of this world. But I've received the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the one that helps me to live a godly life, a holy life. Let's pray to God. Let's be honest with Him. Let's pray. Let's raise our voices and pray.